there is a definitely a pressure that's applied to immigrants, first generation immigrants. And there's an expectation that America is a land of plenty. This is a place where land of opportunity, but you have to work hard. So if that mentality is beat into you from a very young age, then you identify with it. And when you come here as an immigrant, none of this is provided for you. You have to earn it for yourself so that all that pressure is applied on that you have to be successful to earn this. And not just for yourself, but for your family and for your family back home. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda-Solgado. Today is the last day of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month and Mental Health Awareness Month. But as May comes to a close, it's important to remember that mental health issues in the AAPI community and beyond continue to exist. Today, Epicenter's Mitra Kalida speaks with Abu Nassim. Abu is a New York City-based psychologist. They discuss why there aren't more South Asian therapists, the social stigma around seeking therapy, inherited trauma related to migration, and the model minority myth, and so much more. Before we begin, a quick message. There's one thing uniting black and brown entrepreneurs, having access to capital. Epicenter NYC recently led a conversation featuring an incredible group of leaders and entrepreneurs in Houston, Texas. The event, sponsored by UBS, highlighted the formula they used to get their start and what is needed now. Here's a quick listen at what the Houston Defender Network CEO, Sony Messiah Giles, and Fuddruckers CEO, Nicholas Perkins, shared. The fundamental piece we're missing is the capital for the infrastructure. I'm talking human capital that we need. And that's where we need the capital Mm -hmm. to fund that human capital. Because you learn how to use all this tech, and then you got to hire somebody to do the work. Where does that funding come from? Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? You got to go make the money to be able to fund the person to operate the tech that's supposed to be making the money. It is capital, but I think it's capital focused on human capital, that we need more than just the tech and the training, because I understand the tech now, I understand what I got to do, I just need some money to go get the people who can do it. (laughs) Capital is everything, so, you know, if you got access to capital, you can make the investments that you need so that we find ourselves and working in our businesses more so than working on our businesses Mm. because of the lack of uh, access to, you know, capital for it to and make the investment in technology and things of that nature. So our businesses only grow to a certain point, right? It's not really sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, once again, I, it's just, we've demonstrated the ability to be able to have the grit, the wherewithal, the intelligence, uh, the drive, <laughs> the work ethic. You know, the only thing that we lack access to is the gas that goes in the car to make it move. <laughs> yeah. For more key takeaways from the event, click the link in our show notes titled, There's One Thing Uniting Black and Brown Entrepreneurs. Now, back to the show. Here's Mitra and Abu. It's great to know of a South Asian therapist in Queens because I actually feel like I get asked that question a lot. And I don't always have a long list at the ready. Is that something that sounds familiar to you? There's very few South Asian 
individuals in the mental health field in general, whether in therapy, social work, and you know, in other related fields. So I do see uh, it's very a small minority. I guess I wonder if we could start there, even though I didn't intend to start there, but do you have any theories on why that might be? I have two directions. One is that mental health as a profession is still relatively new and it's not a traditional area of employment for South Asian communities. So it's more the individuals who are raised here in the U.S. understand the importance of mental health and see that as a valuable and viable source of employment as a place to actually develop a career. Because from what I hear, especially growing up from the South Asian families, they want you to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, um, something along a pharmacist, but no one really says, oh, you should be a mental health counselor. You should be a psychologist. You should be a a social worker. These professions aren't promoted within the community. Can I ask Abu how you got into this line of work? So I have an interesting story because I've always been a people person. I've always loved working with people, talking with people. I was the person that a lot of friends would turn to for advice and guidance. So I've always had a knack for like counseling and working with people. And I thought to myself one day, oh, it would be nice if I got paid for this. So that kind of started the ball. And then I went to St. John's for pharmacy initially for my undergrad. And when I went to St. John's, I asked a lot of my peers during the orientation, why are you here? Like, what do you like about pharmacy? And I got two answers for why people were in the program. Either one, their parents told them to go into pharmacy, or two, they wanted to make a lot of money. And, you know, that wasn't my main reason for being in pharmacy and seeing like these were the peers I would learn the next four to six years with. That really gave me a snapshot of the potential if I continued with pharmacy. So then I was like, I'm more passionate towards, you know, counseling and working with people and actually doing more of this interactive work. So I ended up switching over to psychology as my main major in undergrad. That's great. And then you ended up in a career in it, which is interesting because when I ask you the question of why aren't more South Asians therapists, I guess that also leads us to the question of why aren't more South Asians in therapy? Maybe we could segue there to what we want our communities to know about seeking therapy, about mental health. I I wonder if we could kind of start with the basics there. I think it's very important when talking about this, talk about stigma. And there's two directions for stigma. There's social stigma and self-stigma. And within the South Asian community, there's this idea of if you're seeking mental health services, you're a quote-unquote crazy person. And no one wants to be No one wants to identify with being crazy or having that label attached to them. And even working with that population, there's a stigma. Oh, you're going to be working with crazy people. And that was what I heard growing up all throughout undergrad into graduate school. Why do you want to work with crazy people? Why do you care about crazy people? And in terms of seeking mental health services, if people connect with the idea, oh, I don't want to be crazy. I don't want to acknowledge that I'm a crazy person then they tend to avoid it. There's a lot of stigma with seeking mental health services. So how do we get rid of that stigma in our communities? I mean, sometimes it feels like, I'm actually, I was just telling someone this, like when company comes over, we're a certain way. And then there's how we are when it's just the family. I guess I'm wondering how do we start to remove some of those stigmas? 
a good place to start is acknowledging that it's okay to have difficulties. It's okay to talk about having problems because there tends to be a lot of avoidance in South Asian communities to that, you know, it's okay to have issues. It's okay to feel depressed. It's okay to be anxious. And a lot of it is like, you got to work through, you got to power through this. You just have to work harder. And if you're having a problem, don't think about the problem, just like study more, you know, do better in your exams, you know, it's just that kind of pick yourself up by the bootstraps kind of mentality. And if you ignore the problem, eventually it'll go away. That's kind of the undertone very often. But the problem with that is that doesn't work for everybody. Certain individuals are able to potentially work through difficulties by just honing in on their studies, maybe on their exams, maybe they have a bigger goal for themselves of you know, being a doctor or being some kind of professional and they might try to push their problems to the side, but it's not sustainable. And families don't like to talk about these problems when they come up. So they tend to ignore and focus on other external things that are easier to really focus on. It's so interesting because you capsulize this idea of, oh, if you work harder, life will get better right? Or if you excel or make more money, and in so many ways, those are the external factors that you're referring to versus working on ourselves. There's been a lot of attention, um, at least among some Asian American journalists, of this idea of inherited trauma. I wonder if the act of migration itself, so were you born in this country or were you born overseas? I was born overseas. I was born in Bangladesh. Uh, but I came to the U.S. when I was two months old. So not born in the U.S., but pretty much uh, raised here my entire life. And it's what you've known. Yeah, I guess I wonder, do you think the actual act of migration is a form of trauma? And so when we talk about inherited trauma and all of the things that our parents did for us, right? I mean, there's a reminder, we came here in some cases for you, and, and there's a lot of sacrifice Right. There's also what they did to us as a result of that. And mm -hmm. so I wonder what your thoughts on that are. Okay. So there is a definitely a pressure that's applied to immigrants, first generation immigrants. And there's an expectation that America is a land of plenty. This is a place where land of opportunity, but you have to work hard to achieve, to achieve success. And that success is on you. The onus is on you. So if that mentality is beat into you from a very young age, then you identify with it and you see this as the avenue out of difficulty. You know, you watch TV, you see, you know, you see the big house, you see the big yard, you see all these things and think, oh, I want that for myself. I want what you see in media or, you know, from all these different places. And how do you get access to that? You have to have your career. You got to be successful. You have to do these things. And when you come here as an immigrant, none of this is provided for you. You have to earn it for yourself so that all that pressure is applied on that you have to be successful to earn this. And not just for yourself, but for your family and for your family back home, because they want to come to the US. They want to be able to enjoy in the wealth that you accumulate because they feel 
like, oh, since you're the first generation coming here, you're the first in line to take part in the plenty. So you should go and help support the family back home or help support other people in the community. So there's a lot of expectations, a lot of pressure. I had mentioned um, the model minority myth that comes up a lot. And I, I, I wonder if there is some effect that that expectation, but also this I mean, the, the term model minority, I have a lot of problems with on its own, but whether that sets up another set of expectations, whether it's family, society, and whether that also has an effect on mental health. I think it goes two ways. There, there's pros and cons with, with this model minority myth, particularly with South Asians. And, and I see this in my therapy work. They dive into this myth. And they see like, okay, I have to excel. This is the expectation that I'm placing onto myself. They identify with that expectation and it kind of pushes them forward, at least in, in academia, when it comes to school, high school, maybe undergrad, maybe even uh, graduate school. But once they become adults, you know, young adults, then they don't have those check boxes anymore. And if this is what they've used as a form of identity to feel confident in themselves, when there's no more check boxes to check off, their sense of identity starts fragmenting and they don't really know like, who am I? What is happiness for me now? What does it mean to feel like content in my own body? It, it, they start having these mental health problems because they don't have that metric anymore that was that model minority myth. And with being that model minority, there's almost a sense of you have to be perfect or you have to be excelling in all areas. And when they aren't able to excel in all areas, then they start you know, beating themselves up. Like, oh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be like that doctor over there or that lawyer over there? And, and getting into the culture, a lot of South Asian families tend to be very comparative um, of their children with other children. And they'll talk about, you know, so-and-so down the block whose son's a doctor, lawyer, et cetera. And they say that as a form of motivation for their children without even thinking it actually like hurts their self-esteem and it hurts how they perceive themselves. And I see that consistently amongst my clients. Abu, you're holding such a mirror up to our community. I'm very grateful for that. Are there any other myths about um, Asian, South Asians, Bangladeshis, and mental health? I think in general, there's not a lot of conversation about mental health. And one thing I like to bring in my therapy work is the idea of mental health and spirituality and how it goes hand in hand together. And there seems to be a dichotomy. There's like a, this arbitrary difference between the two where when you're dealing with mental things, it's like you're dealing with a very biological, crazy, not crazy, you know, you're dealing with a fundamental problem versus when it comes to spirituality, which is a way of understanding yourself in relation to, you know, with, you know, with the divine, things that are greater than you, larger things like your community, there is a lack of integration of these things. I love that you're integrating that because I think for many Asian families, the reticence to talk about mental health or even allow, I, I use that word in quotes, their children um, or second generation, you know, even adults like me who kind of still feel like we're treated as children from our immigrant parents, right? <laughs> it's that it's seen as a Western thing. 
And so just as an example, like a lot of the questions I get from these same parents is like, is it okay for my daughter to live in the dorm? Are American teenagers really having sex? I don't want to send my child to a mental health professional where somehow they're going to condone this behavior. And yet the alternative seems to be ignoring the behavior altogether, right? I think there's an inherent fear that once you start working with a mental health concern, you acknowledge there's an actual problem. And to acknowledge that there's a problem that's in need of healing, that's in need of support, it's against the, I'm going to cover my ears, pretend it's not a problem. The more I ignore it, it'll eventually solve itself. And I think that's what the South Asian community is used to. We'll just ignore until somehow it'll happen. And, and that's the issue. It doesn't just fix itself. And and the research goes to show, especially a generational uh generation wise, you know, every generation is getting more depressed, getting more anxious. There are more and more stressors placed on teenagers and adolescents between media, technology and everything else. So South Asian parents don't know. They're afraid. What does what does mental health mean for my child? They don't have any framework in their education from, you know, whether it's Bangladesh or where in South Asia, they weren't educated on mental health. So it's very alien for them. Any other thoughts before we let you go that um, come to mind on this issue? We're wrapping up Asian American Pacific Islander Month. It's also been Mental Health Awareness Month. Of course, for you, it's 12 months of the year that these two things intersect. So I don't want to act like we only care at this moment, but but while we have you, is there anything else you want to add or say? I would add the importance of being explicit of our care and love for each other, especially from parents to children. I see consistently that parents want to show their love through food or through some other external forms of care, but to actually say, I love you, I care for you, I'm proud of you, you're doing a great job. These words of affirmation are very important for child and adult development. But in the South Asian community, it's very rare to get that affirmation from parents. So I think it's very important for parents to be actually explicit of how much they are proud of their children. And mm-hmm. I think parents should really show their care, even in the home setting, and be more explicit about that. If you or someone you know is interested in learning more about mental health services for AAPI community members, check out the Asian American Federation's Mental Health Directory. We've linked to it in our show notes. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. For more stories like this, visit us at epicenter-nyc.com. And if you're not already a member, sign up today by using the link in our show notes. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description. 